Pharmacists need to operate at the top of their license. Is that a challenge or goal your specialty pharmacy is committed to? Providing pharmacists with the data to support patients in a timely manner that improves adherence and persistence is a core service of Spencer Health Solutions. Spencer, our in-home medication management smart hub, provides patients with a simple solution to medication management and ongoing engagement. Our partner pharmacies receive patient data in near real time to support their clinical outreach, including telehealth access. If your specialty pharmacy group is ready to learn about available programs utilizing Spencer to serve patients in clinical trials or commercial pharma programs, visit spencerhealthsolutions.com forward slash partners and connect with us. Spencer Health Solutions, the future of patient engagement from the home. You're listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Unlocking the power of data to deliver a personalized health experience. This is the key to the future value of what we consider a smart health ecosystem. The pharmacist plays a role in this ecosystem. Your medication management expertise plays into sustainability, but more important, helping people thrive and helping people to feel like they don't have a condition uh, as much as possible. And then the data that's being extracted from those patient cases given back to the clinical um, uh, pharmacist to study and to drill down into that data to help support future cases as well as manipulate future cases to really customize care. That's also the future of what's happening with so much of what's um, taking place in digital health today. I'm excited. Today is a big day for the Pharmacy Podcast Nation. We're welcoming back Pamela Spence, who is EY, Ernst & Young's Global Health Science and Wellness Industry Leader and Life Science Industry Leader. Welcome back, Pamela, to the to the Pharmacy Podcast. I knew you'd come back. <laughs> well, thank you, Todd. Uh, well, thanks for inviting me back. Um, and uh, I hope our discussion today is going to be very stimulating and interesting to your members. For our members, if you haven't listened, um, Pamela was here. We were talking about the five trends, uh, redefining the health science and wellness operating model. Extremely well-received podcast episode with Pamela. I'm going to put that in the show notes too, just in case you'd like to reference and listen. But we're always moving ahead here at the PPN. And one of those things that we're very attracted to is how to leverage technology, wearables, uh, getting more out of the data that we're collecting. Because having data or the mounds and trillions and um, all of that availability data, that that in and of itself isn't important. It's what we're doing with that to make um, life better for patients. And when I read your brief, when I read your paper um, about living in an ecosystem with smart insights and personalization and interventions based on readables and wearables and technologies as well as artificial intelligence we had to get you back and really dive into this so just to start out i want you to give the listeners just kind of a stage setter of of this paper how you can create value in an intelligent health ecosystem well, thank, thanks todd and, and i'll start with a, a sort of high level summary um i'm i'm very excited that um 
we have a number of different forces all, all sort of moving at a pace. Um, and I'll just sort of outline each one of those in detail. I think that we um, still maintain the momentum of uh, acceptance that virtual or remote care is possible and welcome by recipients and also um, physicians and, and caregivers. So I think that, uh, and I sort of, I think I, I said before is, is if there's a positive to come out of COVID, that is certainly one of them. And, and we see that trend continuing. Um, I, I almost um, see a world where doctors could even become medical engineers, work remotely in high-tech laboratories, augmented with data feeds, with sensors very personalized to the patients and the monitoring that's done at a very individual level will actually drive very clear clarity on whether the outcome is trending positive, neutral, or indeed negative, and thus treatment uh, tweaks can be made to, to those treatments. And, and there's a, a, a graphical illustration of uh, of, 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 of where I think that might go. But that's only going to be possible as, um, as we see the advancements in sensor technology and um, the, the sensors either inside us, on us, uh, around us, actually generating data that then uh, is very personal, personalized um, to us and how our individual body's biochemistry is performing. No one individual responds like another to any given treatment. Um, sadly, it's not a one size fits all. And then the third thing there, uh, the, the, the sort of trifold of alignment is um, that AI is now beginning to be much better, I would argue, cognitive as well as computational. So this data that these enhanced sensors are streaming can actually be made sense of. So I think all of that gives us a great, um, arguably a washing machine, a recipe um, to really drive the opportunity of remote care at a size and scale that really will make a big dent in affordability, access and cost effectiveness. In this study, uh, Pamela, we go over which um eight key changes in traditional healthcare model are prevalent, who are kind of standing out. And we're talking about point of care. Um, the And I referenced before we started uh, talking, we just got done uh, doing a panel discussion on community pharmacies in the United States. There's about 19,600 independently owned community pharmacies who are looking to build new businesses coming out of all the services that they've already been delivering to patients in home. Um, these patients are not in skilled living facilities. They are not in long-term care facilities. They're not in hospitals, they're in their homes and their homes are not prepared for some of their conditions that community pharmacy knows because it's them, it's their, been their patient for years. They know these people by name, they know their children's names, their grandchildren. It's very community driven. So that point of care from hospital to home, we need to prepare the treatments that the physician puts into place and then hand that treatment program to that community pharmacist who already has the trust, already has the knowledge of their patient and other conditions that they have and then prepare the home so 
let's start there. How are we going to prepare the home at a at a cost effective way of, of doing so? Yeah, sure. I, I, I think, you know, clearly the point of care is shifting from the traditional hospital much more to either a, a patient or consumer's home or indeed specialist care facilities. And, you know, some pharmacies I know are, are building specialist care facilities because I, I think that even with the most sophisticated sensors, there, and I think that there needs to be great collaboration with the technology providers um, and, and how and, and some of these medical device manufacturers of these sensors. But, but I don't believe these sensors are going to be super costly. Uh, this isn't all about refitting, refurbishing a home. This is all about um, sensors, small sensors collecting micro changes in how your body is performing. So some of the sensors in, in vivo sensors will, of course, be dispensed and you swallow them. Some of them will be like tattoos or patches, which, uh, again, you'll, you'll stick on. Maybe the pharmacy needs to help you stick on or the tattoo. Um, but I, I, I think some of the dispensing of some of these therapies, and, and we were talking earlier about um, the or I was mentioning the advancement in cell and gene therapies, that certainly one in the UK today was on the news of treating haemophilia and the, the clinical trial evidence looks at 90% success rate of cure. So that's great news. And I think that the cell and gene um, medicines are largely in the clinical development at the moment, but 23, 24, 25 is when it's expected that they really hit the mainstream. The, the need for somebody like a pharmacy to administer those therapies more locally, um, I think will be, be critical. So I don't think it's going to cost a lot to smart up your home from a medical perspective. Um, I think the, the types of sensors that we're talking about are either going to be delivered through existing wearables or, or panels on the wall which sense or they will be um, described medical devices with um, you know, pills that you swallow or, or sensors or patches that you, you put on. So I don't anticipate, clearly there is a cost, but it, I don't believe it's going to be a prohibitive cost and, and certainly much cheaper than traveling hundreds of miles away to see that specialist physician or indeed stay in a lengthy stay in a traditional facility. You know, Pamela, I remember, I remember when Experian um, began to teach the consumer about the power of their data, and it was all from a financial perspective. They had classes and webinars and videos on teaching their user, hey, this makes a difference in your financial well-being, your financial planning. That spills now over into healthcare, where the institution is not the owner of the data, it's the individual, it's the consumer, and understanding that that is extremely important to uh, your health in, in your current state, but in someone who just turned 50 years old, I'm now looking at, hey, what do I do right now that's going to cascade into the future and give me the best possible uh, ability to live healthy and mobile, when I'm 75, 85, 105. So my data and looking at how are things now? Where's my cholesterol at? Where, you know, what, 
what vitamins should I be increasing or minerals or whatever to set me up for that future? So let's talk about that data, data ownership and how important that data is to the individual um, versus uh, being owned by an institution. Yeah, I mean, I'm less hung up on who owns the data. At the moment, of course, the majority of our health data is held in institutional data banks and servers. Um, but as more and more of us, um, you know, dive into, um, you know, the smartphone, the walking, I mean, um, and, and have these sorts of, you know, sensors that I've been talking about, you know, um, and one of the statistics that, that um, we cite in the report is that in the future, we're going to shift from almost all of your data being held by an institution and then, is it theirs? Is it yours? Everyone gets hung up about it before you actually even get to the stage of, is it useful? Um, I, I think I, I, we, we believe that 80% of relevant data is going to be generated outside the clinical record. Right. So that puts a, a completely different dynamic on, on ownership. And, and personally for me, and all right, I'm a bit of a health data geek and, and I'm really passionate about it, but I know that my, and, and, some folk would think that the British and the NHS is very joined up. And, and, and certainly there's an awful lot of great data about me in my NHS record. But I tell you, in my smartphone, there is more relevant data about how I'm performing this week and today, which it doesn't actually really matter what my body was doing 10 years ago. What matters is how my body is performing today and how I am responding to a treatment that I'm given this week, today, if, if, if I need it. So I think we'll see um, that, that whole data argument shifting. One, because the point of generation is going to be different. And, and two, um, ownership of data is actually very costly and actually doesn't drive any value. It's the interrogation of the data with an intelligent question and the answer to that question that drives the value. So you don't actually need to own data, you just need access to the data, um, having thought through what specific questions you actually want to fire into my data, Pamela's data, or really maybe some population data um, at a geographical level, or, or dare I say, and, and some of the more spe disease-specific international data banks. So it's that interrogation of data, which actually, you know, it doesn't. It's a lot of that interrogation can be de uh, anonymized, depersonalized. So I think we're going to see a whole shift in this whole stumbling block of well, you can't possibly um, have any value because you don't own the data and. Um, if you don't own the data, you can't interrogate the data. I think one of the challenges that I'm, well, one of the conversations I'm having with, with many clients at the moment is most important is be clear on what data others own that you believe you need to access to help your value proposition in this, uh, you know, this, this health ecosystem. Because if the answer lay within your data, you'd probably have found it by now. And I think that's a complete shift in how folk need to, to, to think about um, the, the use of data. And we say in the report that, um, you know, it's, it's all about 
data turning into information, turning into insights, but more importantly, actionable insights before you drive value. So I, I, as I say, you know, I'm less hung up about who owns the data because I think we'll find that the historic data banks are, uh, are meaningful, but over time will become less critical um, as a dominant in the overall data pile. Now, of course, what I haven't touched on is the genomic data. Um, and, you know, I look forward to when I am able to get my genome sequenced. Um, and, you know, where would that go? Well, actually, it'll probably go on my smartphone. Mm-hmm. Yes. That I will choose to share with my physician. So yes. I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll pivot on this data, data argument, ownership, privacy, access, et cetera. Yes, and I I appreciated your comment about the the pandemic and how it helped to accelerate some things that were still in maybe stages that are no longer a maybe. It's a it's an absolute usage for sure with regards to questions around um, teleconnection, telehealth. Um, our our we've been doing it through. Um, through our iPhones and in our interconnections and our web conferencing forever. And now um, healthcare caught up because of the, the, the crushing um, demands that the uh, pandemic put on our healthcare providers. And I see pharma leveraging telehealth tools and how they're taking a, a bigger stake in rolling out um, decentralized clinical trials, how they're embracing community pharmacy to do that. And they need that technology and, and, and encompassing of everything, including individual patients taking part in something that they may swallow, like the eTechDRX capsule, like you said, or the wearable or that barcode that's, that's a, um, a tattoo. And I'm, I'm thinking of, of pharma finally catching up in the times where they're going where the patient is already and they're saying we know how much you like netflix so let's create videos and in audio content that makes it much easier to communicate to your healthcare professional because now you're able able to convey um, a, a structure that was laid before you about your hypertension and now you can describe what you're feeling because you've been empowered as the patient as the individual by this education. And I think that's powerful. So what other big organizations are you thinking in, in, in the type of services that they're providing to our patient? Where does the technology, um, where does, where's the adoption bottleneck, Pamela? Where do you think, what do we do to continue the, the pace that the, the pandemic accelerated it? How do we keep that going? Yeah, that, that that that's a great question, and I and I think there's probably two areas that 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 really need to happen. One is, as you rightly point out, and we, we talked about, is the user acceptance of remote virtual technology assisted, and um, and and who would have thought um, three years ago or even two and a half years ago, the world would move to digital currency. I, I'm not meaning Bitcoin. I'm meaning, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I touched a note of money. Um, 
you know, and uh, I know some geographies are further ahead than others. You know, even my mother, who is 79, pays for everything on her Apple Watch because she's got her card like. So I know some geographies are are more accepting of Apple Pay, uh, but but everyone is is doing the card. So everyone has moved towards a digital way of of doing things and having their communication device, their phone, their watch, whatever, at uh, 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 centre to that. But I think that's a really interesting characteristic uh, of that. It's it's convenient. And, and one of the studies that, that we continue to do is look across outside of the health industry, look across other industries that um, have really become leaders in their fields. And, you know, you can cite, um, you know, and I'm not going to comment too specifically, but, but this is in the report, you know, you can cite Amazon and Airbnb and, and Netflix and, and Uber all arguably have taken a dominant share in their individual industries. But then if you boil down why that is, then you come out with some really startling um, common characteristics. And one is convenience that I've just referenced. So, you know, um, virtual care is convenient, you know, but, but other things really need to come into play to get the scale um, and clearly it needs um, a, a few organizations to to lead with these. Now one is it's got to be seamless. it's got to be it's got to be convenient, it's got to be seamless. It's got to be personalized. So you know I don't really want to get your um, health nudges, Todd. I'd prefer to get my own. I mean yours might be very interesting, but but I'd prefer to get my own. So it has to be personalized, a bit predictive. Um, you know, Netflix now, very clever. If they're advertising a film to me, it comes with a particular picture. If they're advertising it to my partner, it'll come with a different picture based on our preferences. Uber, very clever, very clever. Um, so it's pr predictive and personalised. There's an awful lot of choice. Um, I think that's, that's important and it's very transparent. So I think those characteristics really need to... Um, whether you're a, a um, uh, whatever stakeholder you are, you're a pharmacist trying to um, operate in this new smart, intelligent world, or you're a payer or a provider or life sciences companies, you know, all the clients I'm talking to really think through, is your operating model that you believe you're going to operate um, in the future, have, got, have, the, have you got these characteristics? Are you convenient? Are you seamless uh, to trade with? Predictive and personalized? Do you give a lot of choice? And, and are you transparent? And those are the things that we as a consumer are starting to demand. So ultimately, the patient will want something that's convenient. The patient will want something that's seamless and easy. The patient will want something that is personalized and predictive because it's more helpful. Our patient will want choice and overall they'll want transparency. So this is why I think we talk about putting the patient at the center of the healthcare system, but the patient will start or the consumer will start to demand these characteristics because they have them in other way, other walks of life. So I think that this whole move um, will be defined at the pace that the consumer wants it. And I would argue that the consumer will want or the patient will want these things quicker. And so that will pull 
the uh, the stakeholders who provide uh, with medicines or care into the system to actually uh, move with those demands. Otherwise, um, I, I think that, that health will be left behind and, and gives opportunity for a dominant new entrant perhaps to come in and steal the show. I think we need to challenge our pharmacists specifically um, to understand their role and responsibility in the in the the coming of of new technologies, but also the embracing of the existing um, sensors and virtual reality and how um, behavioral health. There are behavioral health pharmacists now who are working with psychiatrists in primary care to put their patients into um, virtual reality for a 30 minute, one hour, you know, session that is showing results and it's, it's making them less anxious and more peaceful. And that brings blood pressure down and it's just, it's a cascade opportunity. So I think that this report, um, every pharmacist, we're going to have a link in the show notes to this, um, from, uh, from Pamela's research through Ernst and Young. Um, I want to stress that it's time to start thinking of how you're going to leverage and then also push back to your care teams to start in, to start using some of the data that you're pulling out of these therapies and ongoing therapies for your patients and increasing, um, you know, this is a connected world now. We got um, our fifth generation broadband to deliver all of this data that's going to be ready for it. And um, it's going to give um, our pharmacists an opportunity to make advancements in shifting treatment modalities based on the personalization of treatment, which is exciting. And I know that that's exactly what this report kind of is pushing towards is, is once again, that intelligent ecosystem that is, that is all about personalized insights. Yeah, and, and I think that we, we we talk about a formula for future value in our report, and, and it's all around unlocking the power of data by connecting data sets, combining data sets, which, which may not be your own, um, to really drive insights and action, but ultimately to deliver a personalized health experience, which the consumer or the consumer patient will, will demand. And, and that is probably the, the, the discussion I'm having the most with um, the, the various um, uh, client boards that I speak to is how are you creating value to deliver that? How, how is your model, your operating model, your business model striving to unlock the power of data to drive that personalized health experience, but in a, in a, in a connected world? Um, I would say, Todd, um, probably a, an early heads up, we are working on um, a few videos that actually look at how data might flow around such an intelligent ecosystem. And, it, and it's they're not quite ready yet, but I'm hoping they will be ready soonish. Um, if I say a month, I won't meet it. If I say three months, I'll... Um, I'll uh, you know, over-deliver. So they're, they're, they're almost there. Um, but what's interesting is, and, and when we were going through with the, um, the third party that we have got to help us um, make these videos, is the data is the dominant and the getting better or the treatment of the patient, whilst extremely important, because otherwise what's the point? But the video dominates in data flows, be it biological data, be it digital data, versus 
the patient actually getting better. That's taken as a given. So um, I'll, I'll ask the team to, to share with you some of these um, videos and, and they that might bring a practical edge to how we see such an intelligent health ecosystem operating and the, the way that data will flow around the system. I think that will give uh, a bit more tangible clarity uh, to, to what we're encouraging um, the health system to, to actually move to. Are there any specific disease states that really stood out to you after doing this research and compiling um, this report? Is there anything that stands out to you that, that you say, wow, the, the technology, the, the, the wearable would really fit well with um, this condition? Um, I think that um, I think it's applicable to all disease states. I think the data journey for um, you know a very autologous treatment, for example, a CAR T therapy, is going to be very very different than how can you actually um, proactively manage quite severe um uh asthma or, or any pulmonary condition so they they they're, they're completely different in the way that data might help um but so so i don't think it's it's a one and only or it's a uh this is more likely than that i think there's applications across the whole um disease spectrum um i think Many will probably gravitate initially to the likes of some of these uh, cell gene therapies just because um, they're new. But I think there's an awful uh, lot of opportunity in the more chronic conditions that we've seen um, that are very challenging to really keep proactive control of rather than reactive control to. So I really am pressing the pharmacist listener right now. You have the experience in very specific specialties. Uh, you may be concentrating on lung cancers or pediatrics or the coming and rise of biosimilars and the exchange of one medication compound for the next based on your expertise. So why not unlock additional data points and, um, and other facets of care based on forming this ecosystem, this ability to use technology for your for your patients. Organizations that are already out there doing this, um, Pamela, we have a um, partnership with Spencer Health who has a, a device that sits in the home of the, the patient. It dispenses the right dose at the right time. And then it also has a camera that the patient can communicate with a loved one or their care provider, their physician, Obviously, they're a pharmacist in ongoing, and then this is prepared with updates to connect into other devices as well. So it's this is kind of already already happening, but we have to get our community pharmacist, our specialty pharmacist in the United States, this group of pharmacists known as specialty pharmacists that dig down into a very um, serious condition um, that there's multiple compounded uh, like medications ongoing for the treatment. And um, so this makes sense. This is why I was excited to get you um, on this. And for the listener, the, the pharmacist specifically, Pamela, um, what do you what do you call out to them, um, in, you know, as you've built this 
uh, research through e, uh, the help of EY. What, what do you say to our, our listening pharmacist right now? I think it's like get involved, you know, really think through, um, you know, obviously I'm slightly biased to our report, but but really think through um, where, I mean, there's, there's not one size fits all for all the different uh, members that you have. Some will gravitate to some areas and some will gravitate to the others. But I, I think my encouragement would be, you know, just really be specific in terms of how you want to play in this future world, because it's going to be specialists, not generalists, who will steal the march. But then I, I, I come back to, um, you know, these characteristics, you know, wherever you play in, in the health ecosystem of the future, ultimately the, the user, the consumer will demand a personalized health experience. And that is defined by these, these characteristics. If we are to believe, which I do believe, that the leaders in other industries, um, you know, it's those winning characteristics are convenience, uh, seamless trading, predictive and personalized, high consumer choice, and uh, transparency. So I think that that is um, really, really key to really think about. Um, and ultimately, it's going to be a world where healthcare has become much more rather than less human and personalized. So I, I think that the you know putting the patient at the center, putting the human at the center, um, really thinking through how your business model is going to help the consumer patient. Uh, rather than the consumer patient having to come to you or, or part of a, a static infrastructure. Um, and again, you know, unlocking the power of data uh, with intelligent insights to really drive that, that personalized experience. I mean, that I think is, is really the encouragement that I would give. And, and staying still is, is, is an option, but I don't think it's going to be a winning formula. It's not. Yeah, we'll we'll get we'll get lost in in um, in medication prescribing creep, which happens. Um, you know, a, a physician may see a patient, the patient moves, or the patient goes somewhere else, and they get prescribed, and they get prescribed, and now they're prescribed something to overcome the outcome of that original medication in the. And it's the pharmacist that slows that down and says, yeah. wait a second, let's take a pause. Let's look at some other parameters in treatment and let's make some suggestions as a team to get the best for, for this, um, for this person to, to live a better life. And let's, let's not forget that the data is there and to use it, you know, having it, um, you know, billions of terabytes of, of data, it's, it's not used it's not useful unless you literally leverage it. So that's that's yeah. also a shout out to our pharmacists. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, one of the final things is owning data is really a cost. Generating insights generate is, is, is the value. Absolutely. Pamela, we uh, now that you've come back a second time, you just now you're going to have to be on a cycle and you're just going to have to come back and give us <laughs> updates. Um, uh, pairing this to the world of, uh, of pharmacology and medication management. Uh, my most favorite healthcare providers are pharmacists out there, but thank you so much for being our guest again. And um, thanks so much for, for doing this report. Delighted to help Todd. And uh, yes, well, um, I will come back. I, I love talking about the industry that I'm so passionate about um, and you combining the 
the advancements in technology, we've just got so much opportunity to make more of a demonstrable difference going forward. So thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Pamela.